has already come up in Bible study on Tuesday. Actually, here's what I think is happening. I think that as we are pressing into agape love, being the focus of our assignment this year, being the thing that we've already prayed to be empowered to walk out, um, the thing that we are going to be in very intentional about this year is agape loving the world. I think that the Lord is um, going to continue to balance that message and that focus with the obedience piece. And I think the reason that balance is so necessary is because they're so often taught as polar opposites. You know, love and the law are like at odds with each other often in, in, in two different camps and two different focuses and two different interpretations. And I think, you know, what I've always taken from the text and, and uh, obviously what I've been sharing with y'all for many years now is that the love and the law absolutely go hand in hand maybe so much so that they're literally one and the same like you cannot dismiss one from the other you can't have one without the other they're they're so united and um obviously jesus is the perfect example of that and, and we're always and only commanded to love as he loved so to love as Jesus loved and to believe in any way that obedience to the commandments can go together or, you know, don't need to go together, that's, that's just incorrect. We cannot love as Jesus loved without keeping God's commandments. So, um, so we had this text come up in Bible study this, this last week, and I think it's just another another awesome layer to understanding and uh, I thought we'd start here so someone if you wouldn't mind John chapter 15 read nice and loud verses 9 through 12 Mama D Okay, pause right there. So the um, the statement that was made on Tuesday, one of the highlights that that uh, Michael took away from this text is is kind of the emphatic nature of Jesus' uh, finishing of verse nine, when he literally just gives the command, "Abide in my love," and and. Uh, I think kind of on the surface that might seem like kind of a difficult commandment because he because it's like how do you do that you know this is Jesus telling his disciples abide in my love and if you have any question about how I go about doing that verse 10 tells you exactly how to do it in verse 10 is keep my commandments so abiding in Jesus's love is done by keeping his commandments, right? Now start verse 11. These things I have spoken to you. What things? The things that he just spoke, right? And what did he just speak? 
abide in my love and do that by keeping my commandments. So those things that I just spoke to abide in my love by keeping my commandments, those things I speak to you that you may what? That my, that my joy may, may remain in you. And that your joy may be full. And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So here's why we're kicking off with this. So Jesus says, abide in my love. The way in which you abide in my, in my love is by keeping the commandments. And as you keep the commandments, you're going to have what? Full joy. Not partial joy. Full joy. So here is what I'm compelled to share. Nowhere in the text does it teach that we have full joy because we come to church services. And nowhere in the text does it say we will have full joy if we are like super Christians and come to church services and go to weekly Bible study. It's not in the text. What is in the text and is super clear is that the path to having what everyone wants, joy in life, the path to having what everyone wants to experience the love of the one true God, the path to that is what? Obedience to the commandments. Not church services, not Bible studies, not religious activity. Keeping the commandments. And what are the commandments? The commandments are instructions from the creator God about absolutely every area of life, are they not? He informs by his word absolutely every area of life. So every area of life can and should have God right at the center of it. Or this is the whole thing I'm trying to start off with today. When you have God at the center of every part of your life, and there's only one way to do that, obedience to the commandments, because he has informed every area of life. When you have God at the center of every area of your life, everything works better everything the fruit that comes is undeniable the fruit that comes is recognizable the fruit that comes glorifies God but at the end of the day what it really does is it creates this joy that you live in that you have to where God is your, your gratitude towards God is just, it just permeates every part of your life. Not because you've gone to church services. Lots of people do that. Not even because you study the Bible. There's people that do that too. What creates joy? Having God at the center of your life. And you can do those first two and not do the, what I just said. And lots of people, unfortunately, do. Right? So keeping God at the center, 
fundamentally or foundationally by keeping his commandments, having him touching every part of your life. Every part should be touched by God, is touched by God. And when, and when, when we align our individual lives, our families, our congregation with those ways, the fruit is so wonderful. And I'm talking about having an amazing marriage. I'm talking about having amazing kids. I'm talking about having hope and joy and peace and contentment. The fruit is so good that you just, you, the gratitude you have for God just flows out of you. That's what Jesus is offering. That's what he's teaching on here. And, and I'm, what I'm saying is that is the real beginning of agape love. And that is the real beginning of being a real witness, a faithful witness. Because that is the life that declares something unique. And the, and the gratitude that flows will, will be fundamentally about wanting others to experience the same life. Wanting others to experience the same faithfulness of God and love of God and goodness of God informing his own in every area of life to protect them and preserve them and prosper them like that's what it's all about God being the center of everything and when we stop playing church and when we start just doing that just simply doing that, that's when we'll start loving people. Because love is the, is the outflow of it. It's the overflow of it. It's the final manifestation of the divine nature as we talked about. So, so my, um, you know, my example recently that the Lord has been giving me eyes to see as I, as I, as I mentioned a little bit last week is, um, you know, my opportunity at the gym every morning. And, and, um, he started me like right after Pentecost, just saying, when you get to the gym every morning, you start looking the guys in the eyes and I'm going to start giving you words to speak to them. And, um, and, and last week when we got to John 13 and he talked about, uh, you know, by the love, by love is, you know, is, is how they'll know you're my disciples. It, it, it helped me realize that all of the obedience that perhaps the Sass family walks in under our own roof, none of those guys know about any of it. They don't know we keep God's commandments. What do they know? Well, they're only going to know the love that I intentionally uh, share with them. But I'm not going to intentionally share that love with them if it's not flow, if, if, if it's not like overflowing out of me. You see, well, you have to have the obedience piece. It's the, it's it's the, the pool by which all of this overflow comes. The the intentional loving of people is an outflow of the gratitude that you have for 
all God is doing in your own life. And that's specifically, I think, why it's so rare, even within the church, if you aren't experiencing the good fruit of having God at the center of everything, you're just not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Not authentically. Not, not over time. So, so I just wanted to begin today with that, with that, with the balance, the balance that's so necessary, the balance that we're called to, to the virtuous life, to pursuing holiness, to walking in God's ways in every area of our life. That is just the foundation of the divine nature, the foundation of the resurrected life. And it's the outflow of doing that and all of the good fruit that you experience, that's the love that touches people. We had a couple guys from Teen Challenge working at Powder King yesterday. And, um, and I brought them home for lunch. I brought them back to our house for lunch. And uh, I, I actually intentionally do this as often as I can with, with the guys because I want them to, I want them to, I wanna, I wanna love them. I, wanna, I, wanna, I, le I cherish the opportunity to love them in that simple way. And uh, two guys came and, and we do what we always do, sit down and have lunch together. And, uh, and when I left, um, the older one that's got a family, he said, uh, that's literally the most encouraging thing I have ever seen about what a family can look like. And, um, and I just, and I kind of meditated on that all evening yesterday, Diana and I took a walk last night and I was like, you know what, what to me seems just like normal coming home and all the kids come and give me a hug and I kiss my wife and we pray before lunch and we eat together and, and then they all give me another hug and kiss before I go back to work. Like that's just totally normal, normal life for us. And what I recognize by those two guys and their response to it is that's not normal. That's not what the normal people experience. And I just had this unbelievable gratitude that like the life that has been offered to us only by God's grace, only according to his ways, and only because of his spirit inside of us is amazing and can be a testimony in and of itself. So I praise God for that. And, I, and, he, and he is opening my eyes to the, um, to the beautiful thing it is to belong to him and to obey him in every area of life. What that creates from a witness standpoint, from a testimony standpoint, from a touch, a world that needs to be touched standpoint, that's what we're being called to. So I share that as a testimony I share that to remind us all of the balance that's we're called to, and to um, now speak about today's step of intentionality. Okay, so we're learning that agape love is a purpose-driven, mission-focused, outflow of God's sovereign purposes 
touch point to humanity to ultimately accomplish God's will. It's, it's, I would argue, likely possible in every situation, every encounter, every conversation. Agape is an outflow of God's will in that situation. Always going to be love. Always going to be to accomplish God's perfect will and purposes. And he's empowering us to walk in that kind of love. And so um, I really think that the Spirit's just going to give us like these super practical steps to, to teach us how to do this, how to, how to um, you know, almost sort of get into this habit. And it's gonna, it, I think it's going to just come with these sim super simple practical steps. And my encouragement to all of us is just listen and be obedient to it. Don't, don't do more. Don't force more. You know, the, the, um, I, I just believe with my whole heart that the steps are ordered correctly. And so the first step that he gave us, gave us last week was what? Look in the eyes. Right, and I know that seems like a super simple thing, and so simple that it can just super easily be overlooked, or or, or um, not practiced. Um, but it is important. I'm just telling you, it's important. We read several texts last week, in which, just prior to agape love in various forms flowing. The person through whom it was flowing did what first? He looked at the person, truly looked at them. And, and I think that um, looking in the eyes is important because the scriptures teach that the eyes of the, the, eyes of the lamp to the, to the, to the soul. They, they reveal the truth, they share the truth. And so um, that is a step of intentionality that I believe the Spirit is giving us to just Whenever we enter into an environment, whether it's the gym or, or to work or, you know, whatever, we're supposed to get in the habit of looking people in the eye. And then the second one is don't prepare what to say in those moments, but wait and allow the Lord to speak through you. And as we talked about last week, that is not an easy thing to do. That requires a great deal of humility. That requires a great deal of trust. That this is all real. That that requires a great deal of um, elevating the sovereign will of God over every other intention or agenda. In in the two, to, in my mind, totally go hand in hand. The practice of looking people in the eyes has actually become for me the reminder that God wants to speak to them and God wants to speak to the truth of them and in them and for them. And so, and so I think that's part of this discipline that the Lord is teaching us is look in the eye and, and remember as you're being intentional about looking people in the eye, remember to wait. Wait for what? Wait and, and don't give your cookie cutter answer. Don't, give what, don't say what you always say. Just wait and see if I give you something to speak to him. And it's very exciting. It's like super 
exciting to, to recognize that this is how God operates and this is how God wants to operate and this is how God wants to minister. And it's, and it's exciting to be used in that way, but it's even more exciting to recognize that when God does speak through us and we have all had this experience, it does something different. And it reminds me of, I, I want to read just Jeremiah 23 again one more time because, because this is why we wait. Giving our own answers, giving our own suggestions, even giving our own scripture that comes to mind can definitely be a good thing. But, but what God is teaching me is there's something better. And the better thing is God wants to speak through me. So he says this about his, in, in um, talking about ministry specifically, he says, uh, for the prophet that has a dream, let him tell his dream. But he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. So what is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord? And why did he make that statement? He's basically saying that they're two totally different things. Man's words and God's words are two totally different things. Sometimes they don't even have to do with each other, right? And how much ministry, unfortunately, falls into that category of man's words. What is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord? It's just an amazing statement. Verse 29, is not my word like fire, says the says the Lord, like a hammer that breaks the rock to pieces. And if and once we get to the point where the gratitude that we have is so all-encompassing and overflowing out of our lives, when our when our love for the Lord and our faith and belief in Him is so real that all we truly want is ultimately for everyone we talk to to be born again, for everyone we talk to to be drawn to the Lord, for everyone we talk to to have God's will done in their life. This is a powerful statement. It's God's word that makes that happen. It's God's word that moves things. It's God's word that burns the wood, hay, and stubble. It's God's word that chips away the rock and the stony heart and breaks down the strongholds and exposes the deceptions. Everything in people's life that actually accomplishes something, it's God's words that does it. That's what that text is teaching me. So it's super practical. Be intentional. What does intentionality look like? Well, this is just what it has looked like for me ever since Pentecost. The prayers that we spoke at Pentecost, that we would be empowered from on high to love as Jesus loved, to walk in agape love, the things that he is showing us right now, um, to not prepare, but to wait and allow the Lord to speak through you. We pray for these things every day now, before I get out of bed. God, help us to see people as you see people. Help us to know what they need to hear. Speak through us. Give us the empowerment to walk in agape love. Every, every morning before I get out of bed, I pray it. Every, um, as I'm driving to the gym now every morning, I just pray, God, whatever, whatever these guys need to hear, I, I, I offer my mouth, speak through me. Help me to look everyone in the eyes and, and see the truth. They're just, they're just little new 
habits and practices of, of intentionality based on what the Lord is showing us so that we can accomplish the things that he's desiring to do through us. It's not rocket scientists. It's honestly, it's just about being obedient. If this is all real, this is what he's asking us to do. Every time you go to Walmart, you could make this prayer. And something about making that prayer before you go in causes us to what? Be, be aware. Look at people in the eyes. Wait and see if the Lord has anything for them. I mean, it can be this intentional. It can be this practical. It should be this practical. And we've already prayed for it. We've already prayed for the empowerment for it. So do it with me. Amen? Um, today, we're going to um, talk about a very specific thing that may and likely often will happen when you look at people in the eye. When we look people in the eye, we should expect, perhaps, to receive from the Lord something that they need. Right? And there are going to be times when what the Lord reveals is an actual material need. Right? And the whole message today can be this simple. When the Lord reveals that somebody that you encounter needs something, get it for them. I know that's complicated, highly theological. It's biblical that those who belong to God will take care of people. So I want to get into a couple of or foundational texts regarding this, and then I want to get into some of our some of this church's experience with this, and um, finish with some target. Yes, Michael. Sure. Yeah, and I got a, I got a, something to share, piggyback with that, so I'll get back to it. Come, I'll come back to it. All right, so let's go to kind of a foundational statement here first. Um, this can be a tricky one, theologically speaking, because, because it can be taught. It's just one of those messages that needs the proper balance. So let's go to Matthew 25 real quick. And um, if someone wants to read sheeps and goats for us, Go ahead, Kirby. Oh, is it 28? Yes. Where is that? That is the 25, 31 to 
one of my favorite sheeps and goats, but this is sheep for goats. Go ahead, Gary. Okay, so if you don't know the scriptures and you only read that text, what is the misinterpretation that can be taken? In order to be saved. Right? You can, you can easily read this text and come to the conclusion that in order to be saved, you've got to do works. Right? Very easy to mistake this text with that interpretation. So, so this text has to be balanced with a whole bunch of other texts that say what? You cannot be saved by works. Impossible to be saved by works. It is only by grace. All right, so this is a um, fundamental to the gospel uh, point of clarity that we have to make, right? We all know the gospel well because we're familiar with the holy days. And the first holy day is what? The very one that teaches that the only way to be saved is to be marked by the blood, right? Passover is the first holy days. It's the beginning of the gospel invitation. The only way to be saved from an imminent death is to be marked by the blood of the true and blemished lamb. Right, Those people in those homes at the first Passover, their conduct was not what the separation was regarding. Right, The destroyer was not flying over their homes looking at their conduct. He was flying over their homes looking only for the blood. Right, So when 
the king comes at the final harvest and gathers and separates. That separation will be based only on one thing, and that is the blood of Christ. You either have it or you don't. Okay? So, so um, because this is about, this text is about that separation, and we know that separation only happens by the blood, the way we need to truly interpret this text and what it, what it ultimately is communicating is that those who are, are covered by the blood, which is to say, one in Christ, adopted, regenerated, born again, all of the other ways that the scriptures teach those who have been born again as a outflow of that new heart and new spirit and partaking in the divine nature and, and uh, living the resurrected life and walking in God's ways as an outflow of those things, the fruit will be what? What's mentioned in this text feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, caring for the sick, taking care of the, visiting those in prison, so on and so forth. So it is, it is fundamentally a fruit of being born again or a, 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 um, a sign that you have been saved if these activities are partaken in. It is not the way in which you are saved. Are we super clear about that? Only for clarity purposes. Because it's something I've... So the P in prison is not capitalized. It's just like not a place, but rather that when we look in people's eyes, we can see the prison that they mm -hmm. are in. And I think that that's a very big distinction. Sure. People could say, oh yeah, I did prison. You know what I'm saying? Sure. We could even miss that piece of yeah. it. Prison, prison could be multiple things, I would argue. Nakedness could be multiple things, I would argue. Hunger could be multiple things, I could argue. This is about ministering to people, right? This is about agape love, about acts of intentional intersection with hurting people. And the text is basically saying those who are saved, Jesus literally says those who are righteous, right? There's only one who's righteous. Are we all in agreement there? So the only way to be labeled righteous is to be covered by that one's blood. So he is like, this is making a statement to those who are born again, truly joined to Christ. They will serve others in this way. In what way are we talking about? This is tangible, actionable, self-service or self-sacrificial agape acts of love. If you are born again, you do do those. You don't do those in order to become saved. Everyone clear about that? It's very important that we're all clear about that. If we misinterpret that, it's a different gospel. And the Bible is clear in its warnings about teaching a different gospel. Okay, so to follow that up, please, someone, 1 John 3. Actually, I think we're going to read more than just 16 through 18.
let's read 1 John 3, starting in verse 10, please, if someone wouldn't mind. Okay, so that text um, really parallels and exactly communicates Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats. And that, and that teaching is those who belong to God, the fruit of it or the manifestation of it or the outflow of it is love for, for people. It's not about earning salvation. We can't love our way to be saved. It's not forced. It's not faked. It's an outflow of belonging to God. It's an outflow of his heart and spirit inside of you. It's an outflow of partaking in his nature is to love people. So if you do not love people, the text is clear. You're not saved. You don't belong to him. You're still the old man. All right. Continue, please, Michael. Okay, so now we're going to get a super practical biblical definition of love with who as our example and, and what specifically as the primary example, the cross. As we've talked about, the cross is the perfect representation of agape love, right? It's an outflow of the sovereign will of the Father. It is not based on feelings or emotions. It is selfless in, selfless in nature, it is undeterred by conditions, and it is ultimately for the harvest, for the purpose of the harvest. So over and over and over in the New Testament, we see and are taught that this is the perfect example of agape love, the love that we are all called to. A life of laying down one's own life for the benefit of others. Go ahead, Michael. We're, re we're going through 18. Okay, how do we do that? Because the cross doesn't have to be repeated. Right, the sin offering doesn't have to be remade. So how do we lay our life down for each other? Go ahead. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts his heart 
Okay, so here's what that text means to me. As we are diligent to the steps of sanctification that the Spirit's putting in front of us right now, simple steps that we're all capable of, looking people in the eyes, not preparing what to say, being intentional, prayerfully intentional every time we encounter people, being available to the Lord as he reveals to you somehow, some way that there is a physical need there, a material need, a worldly need, the Bible says, meet it. It says specifically, do not love them in word, but meet it. So what is that specifically speaking to regarding the church and Christians and, and often our response? Yep, I'll, I'll see a need and I'll make sure to pray for it. Like I got three coats on and there's a cold guy sitting right there and, and, I, and I walk by him and say, I'm going to pray for God to make you warm. It's unacceptable. It's lazy. It's selfish. And unfortunately, it's often how the church responds when needs are presented. Okay, so I knew we were, we were going to be going um, here. I thought it was actually going to be a number of weeks ago. But God's timing is always right. And... Um, I recognize the week of Pentecost, um, something interesting in the text that I think was the reason for the delay of this coming. So um, go with me to Revelation 9, I'm sorry, Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19, and let's read verses 9 through 11. God's word has informed every area of life. The commandments that we see in books like Leviticus sometimes have to be sort of translated or, or contextualized into, into our context, but the heart behind them is the same. The spirit behind them is the same. So this is a good one to kind of practice that on. Uh, Leviticus 19, verses 9 through 11. It says, When you reap your harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your fields, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape from your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. All right, so this is in Leviticus 19. This is a commandment to God's people. And the spirit of the commandment is what? Mo you know, and this is where we got to talk spirit because most of us don't have land that we are harvesting. Most of us don't have crops that we are harvesting. We don't have to, to keep this commandment. We don't have to, to recognize this commandment applies to us. So, so what is the spirit of this commandment? Exactly. She said, whatever you have is not all yours. 
right? And that's a beautiful perspective that all God's people should have. And there are multiple texts like this, multiple texts that piggyback to, to this commandment that basically say, and it all begins with recognizing that it all comes from God anyways. You know, there are, there are um, multiple aspects to this commandment that are super beneficial. Humility and fighting against pride is foundational to it. To have the humility that everything we have is God's, has come from God's, even the abilities he's given us to given us to make wealth or to produce all come from God. That's a humble place to begin, but it's super beneficial in recognizing what Diane said, that it's not all us, it's not all ours. It's not all for us. So we've taught on this text before and in, in the heart behind it. And here's what jumped out at me this year. Go with me to um, Leviticus 23. You should recognize Leviticus 23 because it's all the prescriptions for the holy days, right? And the prescription for Pentecost starts on verse 15. And let's pause for two seconds. All the holy days find their place within the gospel story, right? We cannot and will not recognize why Pentecost was necessary until we place it within the gospel story and constantly remember where it is and why it is. And where it is, is the middle of history, the beginning of the church age. And why is it? Because the church needed to be empowered. Empowered to do what? Be a witness. Be a witness to what? That Jesus is everything he said he is that he's doing everything that was written that he would do, right? So there's an impossible message that needs to be spoken, an impossible display that needs to be made, and Pentecost was the empowerment for that statement to be made, for that witness to be real. So if we remember what Pentecost is and why it is within the larger redemptive story, it is literally to empower all of us to be a faithful witness. And within the prescription for that holy day, that is all about empowering us to be a faithful witness. Look at verse, look at, look at verse 22. Isn't that curious? You know, why, why is that text repeated right there? And I never... You know, I know I read it, but it never dawned on me. It never really jumped out at me that within Leviticus 23, the chapter that has all of the feast day prescriptions that almost sort of tacked on to the prescription for Pentecost is this very specific commandment to not harvest your corners. So, so what do you make of that? Yeah, I'm asking, what do you make of that? What's that? Say it out louder. Leave some for everyone else. 
Okay, but why is that here? Because he's already said that in Leviticus 19. Why did he restate it following the prescription for Pentecost? Exactly. What is the point of Pentecost? To be a faithful witness. Empowered to, to live in such a way and speak in such a way and do life in such a way that does what? Bears witness to the one true living God. Yes. Okay, so something that jumped out on me, and I was going to ask you about it, and then it just changed it. And I was like, okay, when we just read First John, it's always talking about the brethren. When it's talking about the brethren, those are authentically born again, mm -hmm. okay, right? Yep. Then you jump back to Leviticus and also here, and it doesn't say brethren. It says stranger mm -hmm. and the poor, which does not distinguish the two. In other words, we are called to do it for everyone, and I think it's I falls into the the Pentecost piece because we won't know who out of the brethren, the stranger, and the poor, what they actually need, whether it be spiritually or physically, unless our eyes are looking at their eyes and that we are looking at them and the Holy Spirit is the one guiding because otherwise we could really give a lot and when we're giving a lot, I've seen this happen. I've even felt it a little bit myself and I have to catch myself. Like when I know the Lord has told me this is what you need to do for somebody, there's just that brief moment we have to say, that felt good, but then go, nope, it might have felt good, but it should feel good because we were being obedient, not because, I, does that make sense? Yep, but, but, but let's but pause for a second. I don't want to talk about who yet. Okay. Who, who from a target standpoint. I think let's, it falls because the Holy Spirit is Let's just back up for a second, though. The question is, why does this corners commandment, why is it repeated in the Pentecost prescription? Exactly right. So, so this is so we we have to. This is where understanding Pentecost within the larger redemptive story becomes super valuable. Pentecost is a specific moment in which something specific was given: the empowerment to be a faithful witness, the empowerment for our life in the way in which we do it to bear witness to Jesus. So, within the prescription for that day we get this repeated commandment that it's not all yours so could it be that as it relates to bearing witness that jesus is who he says it is that as it relates to showing the whole world that this is all real that maybe this mentality in this heart is one of the most visible and real and undeniable ways in which that happens. Because there's lots of commandments that could have been tacked on to, to the Pentecost prescription. This is the one that was chosen. And I gotta think it's for a reason. And I'm just reading this with you guys. But I believe what the Lord is showing me is that as it relates to being a faithful witness and as it relates to your life, looking differently, not so you can be praised, 
But so somehow, some way, when your life is, is viewed, God is recognized and God's will is done and God is the one that receives the praise. Maybe this mentality and this heart and this practice is the best way for that to happen. And what is that way? Now we can get into the spirit that it's not, it doesn't all belong to you. That everything that God puts in your life is not all for you, right? And I was sitting in the barber chair last night, not thinking about this, and I really felt like the Lord spoke something specific to me, that it's actually beyond what I just said and what's been said multiple times in here, that if you look at the, the sum total of the resources in your own life, we can read that text and come to the conclusion it's not all for you. When I was sitting in the barber chair last night, I really felt like God say that's not, that's not enough. That's not, that's not a full enough way to look at it. What you really need to recognize is that of the fullness of what God gives you, not that some of it is not yours, but that some of it is actually theirs. Which is just a deeper way to look at it. Of the fullness of what God's put in your life, it's not enough for you to say it's not all mine. You actually need to take another step and say some of it is actually theirs, meaning what it belongs to them. So now is when we can get to Diane's point, which is okay, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna align with this commandment spirit of the law which shows of, of everything I own of everything I earn of everything God puts in my life I need to recognize first and foremost it's not all for me I don't get to consume it all and it's not even enough for me to think that it's not all for me I, I don't get to consume it all but rather some of this actually belongs to others see to me that 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 just puts another um, anticipation another another it's beyond even availability that I'm going to be used to give it's anticipation that I'm called to give yes sir a hundred percent and that's why this line has got to be drawn I have this for you can be done pridefully to Diane's point you can feel real good about yourself. What if we start to recognize that it's already theirs? I don't even, you know, I get no, I get no pride out of giving away what's already theirs. Yes, ma'am. Exactly right. Exactly right. So let me show you how Beautifully, this is supposed to work since you mentioned the tithe. All right, so go to, go to Malachi chapter 3 with me. Susie, do you need to add something?
Yes. This is where we transition now to this church's testimony that recognizing how recognizing God's ways are so good and so right. And when we just obey and align, everything is, everything is met. Everything is cared for. So Malachi 3, uh, starting in verse 8, says this, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there, we, that there may be food in my house. Try me in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough for you to receive it. So, um... I probably don't have to belabor the point that most churches struggle financially. Most churches consume every penny given to them. Most churches have to talk about money every 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 uh, time they gather. From the very beginning, the Lord convicted us of the corner's spirit for the church. He's convicted us of the tithe being the, um, the funding of the ministry by the congregation. And this text has gone... Um, has gone further to teach us that as the ties come in, the purpose is not to expand the programming of the church, but rather to meet needs. That's what the storehouse is for. And we don't gather food as it, they would have back in that day, but it's this exact same principle. God says, when my people just tithe, first of all, they're giving it to me, not to the pastor, not to the denomination, but to the ministry, what happens? The ministry, the storehouse of the ministry is full so that what? Everyone eats. Everyone's needs are met. Everyone is cared for. Because in the church, everyone should be cared for. In the church, there should be no need if all we do is obey what's written and do it God's way, all the needs are met. So why is it that so many churches never have enough money, couldn't possibly give money if it was asked of them? Why is that? Because something around 7 or 8% of the body of Christ tithes. Because it hasn't been taught, it hasn't been explained, and people are disobedient in this area. So we talked about and taught on tithing early on and haven't talked about it since. We don't have to pass a, a tray. We don't have to 
do fundraising. All we have encouraged this congregation to do is be obedient. And glory to God, you all have. And what's been the fruit? We have enough to help people. We have the storehouse is full and we have money to give to meet needs. That's the way it's supposed to be. It's just supposed to be that way. And every church should be experiencing what we experience, which is what? Having more than enough to take care of needs whenever they arise. And that's always gonna be our position. That's always gonna be my position. I'll, I'll, I'll speak plainly to all of you. I do not have any desire to build programming. I do not have any desire to build infrastructure. I don't want a building, I don't want an office, I don't want a cell phone. I don't want more lights and smoke. I'm grateful I get a salary, support from a salary, but everything else can go out as far as I'm concerned. Why, why, why have it otherwise? There's no need to have it. To me, having it and building a bank account is kind of on the equivalent of burying the talent in the ground. I just don't see that as being honoring to God. So my position is always going to be money leaving to help people is always more important than money sitting in the account. Right? Am I, am I, um, am I going to waste it? Are, are we looking to waste it? Are we looking to be reckless or um, just spend it to spend it? Of course not. This is where... Um, maturity and prayer and discernment and and just hearing from the spirit becomes super important okay so um so the question regarding who we give it to is i think valid and i just want you to share some of i want to share some of some scriptures that inform my decisions there all right and then i'm almost, and i'm almost done i promise so first one is Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. Maybe one of the most convicting of, of, um, of all scriptures regarding church. We've, we've read this before. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord. I have, I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come before me, who has required this from your hand? You trample my courts. You bring more futile I'm sorry, bring no more futile sacrifices Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the callings of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meetings. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are troubling to me. I am weary of bearing them. This should be very convicting. This is the God of the Bible speaking to Israel who are playing church. Verse 
This is the God of the Bible speaking to Israel who's playing church. And he's saying to them, your gatherings are a burden to me. When you spread your hands out, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear you. Your hands are full of blood. Wash, make yourself, wash yourself, make yourself clean. Put away the evil of your doings before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressed. Defend the fatherless and plead for the widow. And this is one of multiple areas where God specifically names a group whom his people will care for. In the two, widows and orphans. God's people will care for widows and orphans by name. And this is not a single statement. This is one of many. Old and New Testament. So when the question comes, um, who do we give to? Who, who, does this who do our corners belong to? It's never going to be a wrong answer to say widows or orphans. Everyone hearing me? That's never going to be a wrong answer. Whenever the needs of widows or orphans are brought to this congregation, we will meet them every time. Because this is not a text that I take lightly. And if God has blessed us as God has blessed us, because you all have been obedient and over time, we have the means to do that. So we will help widows and orphans as the needs are brought to us. Everyone clear? Um, Galatians 6. 9 and 10, I'll paraphrase, do not tire of doing good, especially to the brethren. Do not tire of caring for people, especially your church family. Do not grow weary of meeting needs, especially the needs in your own congregation. That's what that text says. Okay, so another thing that will not happen is there will not be needs in this congregation that go unmet as long as we have money in the bank. Why? Because that's what the text commands us to do. But what if it's the same person that constantly needs? I don't care. But we don't really know what they're doing with the cards. I don't care. The text says the church takes care of its own. Okay. The only pause that I've ever had and the only pause that I will continue to seek the Lord on. Um, I'll explain it this way. Um, he, has, he has told me specifically not to reap what people continuously sow. Meaning this. 
Um, there is an aspect to God's correction sometimes that requires us to reap consequences. Okay? It's not punishment because the punishment was poured out on the cross, but consequences discipline the brethren. They're intended to. The pig pods are supposed to taste bad so that you go back to the master's house. Right? So there are... Um, there's reaping that will come from constantly sowing the wrong things that people need to experience. And sometimes we have actually been tempted to go in and, and kind of reap for them. Fix it for them. Right? So if you have wrecked your third car because you won't stop drinking and driving... It's not a good thing for the church to go buy you a fourth car because now we're, we're reaping what you're sowing and we got to be very careful not to do that. And it's a tricky um, line to walk because part of intercession is, as we've been taught, encroaching on their territory, right? It's taking what they deserve. There will be times when we when the church has to give to someone even though they deserve to pay it. And I'll do it every time the Spirit tells me to. But I also have to be diligent to also not do it if the Spirit tells me, no, you need to let them suffer that. You don't get to pay that bill because that's part of their consequence that's ultimately going to lead them to stop this or stop that. Everyone hearing that? And I'm just going to be honest with you, I'll probably screw that one up sometimes. But I'm going, to, I'm going to walk that line because I believe we're called to it. Okay, so every time you all encounter a need, I expect you to meet it. If you can't meet it, you come to me and the church will meet it. If it's one of those gray situations, I'm going to pray about it and have some other people pray with me. And if the Spirit leads us to meet it, we'll meet it every time. If the Spirit says, nope, you can't, you can't meet that, I'm just going to be honest with you and tell you we can't do it. But this is my heart for this congregation. This is how we will walk out this teaching as a congregation. But this teaching is not specifically for this congregation today. It's for each of us as families. So I'll circle back and, and be done. When you look in people's eyes, there's a possibility that under the assignment of agape loving them, you're going to see a need that needs to be met. And it is an act of sovereign will of God, selfless in nature, not based on emotions, not deterred by conditions, that we meet that need. Because it could some way, in some way, lead to their salvation. Hmm? Yep. Yep. Real love is sacrificial. And sacrificial love will be possible to the extent that we will embrace the truth from the text that says 
not only is it not all yours, but actually some of it is already theirs. God, give us eyes to see that truth. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Just understanding that, uh, that obviously like food and clothing and, and water are all very real needs. Yep. Uh, just kind of praying like what those different needs can be yep. too. And I think one that, one that jumped out at me was uh, a broad category, like mental health needs a little bit. Absolutely. So just kind of, kind of seeing how God can help me get those yep. needs. Just a listening ear, a little, a little compassion, some encouragement. I mean, this is precisely why we don't come in without cookie cutter answers, right? This is precisely why I hope someone doesn't come to me this week and says, I wanna go start feeding the homeless every week because that's the typical response to this. It's just kind of flesh. I'm just gonna go do this. God's not asking us to go do it. God's asking us to look people in the eye. God's asking us to not prepare an answer and God's asking us to wait on him. But when the revelation is a physical need, obeyed immediately. Yes, ma'am. Okay, let me see if I can work this the right way. Uh, a kid needs money, so they walk up to their parent, and their parent, you know, like let's say it's $100. And I need $100. I know. Uh, <laughs> now I turn to the same kid and say, well, if you want that, you need It's a heart thing. I'd say it's a small play on words, yep. but it really is like it's it's easy to give something away that's not yours. Absolutely. But I think that maybe that next step that God's bringing our all this gonna say households to first is giving our offerings, not our tithes, but our offerings first, yep. because I think that there will be opportunities that we will not understand through a sacrifice mm-hmm. that we may have to endure. Absolutely. So we, we will continue to have Walmart cards at the ready. Why do we do that? To make it as easy as possible for you guys to meet needs when you see them. Whether they be in your own home or in your circles of influence, they're always gonna be there. Take them when you know they're needed or take one and just have it ready. I'll refill them as soon as they need to be refilled. When you have a specific need arise, bring it to me. We'll meet it. It's part of being sheep of his pasture. In Acts chapter 2, it says everyone held everything in common and nobody had need. And I'm not specifically saying that that's required, but this is, this is us walking in that same level of community. 
So praise God for it. It should mean something to be a part of a church. I pray for each of us to be circumcised in the heart, sanctified in the heart, transformed in the heart to recognize, today's teaching and the opportunities to meet needs sacrificially when they come up as being part of our call and part of agape love and part of what we've already been empowered to walk out. So I pray that each of us would continue to have eyes to see needs when they come up, that we would continue to be intentional and available, that as we meet needs, Father God, that you would be glorified, that you would draw men unto yourself through it, that you would accomplish your will and your purposes for your glory and for your namesake. Pray that this teaching would, that all parts that were from you would take root in our hearts and bear much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen.